Welcome to the Bright Vibe Podcast. At Bright Vibe, we believe everyone deserves to be happy. But in today's world, everywhere you turn, there is division and negativity. At Bright Vibe, we have created a global movement to bring 8 million people together who are inspired to live bright, live bold, and share bright vibes. Alone, it can be hard to change, but together we can change the world. Welcome to the Bright Vibe Podcast. Carla Royal, so happy to have you on the Bright Vibe Podcast today. Lovely to see you. It's good to see you, Matt. I'm delighted to be here. Thank you. Yes, yes. And, you know, we're soon to be neighbors. That was part of the excitement <laughs> to have you on the show so I could quiz you about stuff. Well, hopefully <laughs> we can do that in post-show, but we're soon, you're in, do they call them Ashevillians? What do they call them? I, I don't well, know. Well, you know, I've only been here a year and a half, so I, I think they do. <laughs> oh my gosh, that we're going to have to rename that one. That doesn't sound very But you live in Asheville, North Carolina. We're getting ready to locate, relocate to Asheville, North Carolina. Um, and you and I happened to run into each other at a, you were giving a keynote talk at a consulting business that we use for some of our online stuff in our real estate mentoring program that we have separate than Bright Vibes. And you were giving a keynote and I have heard literally hundreds, if not a thousand different speakers in my lifetime, because I've been a part of different business organizations. They all have speakers that come in. You know, I've been in leadership trainings. I've been a leader all my life. And to put it in perspective, I think that probably the one of the best kind of keynotes that I ever saw that was in a similar format, I mean, kind of somebody standing up, talking for about an hour, 45 minutes to an hour and kind of delivering was Alan Mulally, who was the former CEO of Ford. When it, when he kind of went, came in, he came in and basically redid Ford, made it, you know, a powerhouse. It was suffering and floundering. And he gave a great, great keynote just about how, and he was super, I guess what made it really the best keynote was he was so authentic with his own humanness through the restructuring of Ford back in the day. And you delivered a keynote from stage. And I literally thought you'd given this speech hundreds of times because how polished, professional, how well it delivered, how well it connected. And, you know, so you're, I'll back up a little bit. You're a consultant, you're a business consultant. You help business owners, business leaders kind of navigate this new kind of world we're living in. But you were navigating your own world. You gave a speech in which you said that you had not been on a stage since you were, I believe, 12. Is that accurate? That's right. Yes. And literally top, had to be top three, if not top five speeches I've ever heard in my life. Blew me away. And then it blew me away more that I talked to you after the fact. And this was like, well, obviously you said that from the stage, but give us just a synopsis of kind of overcoming your own fear, I guess. What was that? You hadn't been on stage in like, since you were 12, it was like incredible. Yeah. Well, first of all, thank you for your kind words. They kind of make me cry a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> and I, it's sweet. I appreciate it. Yeah. What I said in the middle of the speech was that we were talking about um, how our the stories we have that we create through our beliefs, through our culture, through our families, through our religion, um, the thoughts that we run just kind of automatically in our mind, they become what we live. And if we're not aware of those stories, then they they literally drive us and as opposed to us kind of driving our way through life, these thoughts, these beliefs, these stories that we have drive us. And one of the stories I had was that I I wasn't a speaker, period. And that happened because I was on a stage when I was 12. I was asked to sing in my church a duet, which I love to sing. I can't even, as I mentioned from stage, can't even believe that I said yes to that. But then at the last minute, they wanted us to tell a little story about ourselves before we spoke. 
and my partner that I was singing with, she did beautifully. And when it came to me, I just froze. I was terrified. I just wanted to hide. And when I left that stage, I got through the song. <laughs> and when I left that stage, I think I just took on this story that I can't speak. And then my adult life, and we can talk more about this, I became a therapist and then a coach. And I do coaching now. And I just have always seen myself, well, I'm just kind of the, the behind the scenes person. I help incredible entrepreneurs go out there and do brilliantly, but that's not my role. And I'm perfectly fine with it. And then the guys at this firm invited me to speak. And I just thought to myself, I'll be like I mentioned, I'll be 63 in just two months. And I thought, this is a 50 year old story. And maybe it's time that I address that with myself. So, mm. and this is the short version, Matt, because, you know, I've had years of therapy, years of coaching, mm -hmm. and I've done a lot of work on myself to overcome a ton of fears. So I was ready for this. And when they asked, I just immediately said yes. And I didn't have any clue how I would do it. And then I just created something that, that I know inside and out and that I'm very comfortable with. And I just, I... <laughs> I just talked myself through it. I just told myself that this was just a story and nothing more and that the audience and the people there were not going to be mean to me if I blew it, <laughs> you know, if I fainted, if anything right. that happened, it really wouldn't be the end of my life, that it wouldn't impact my ability to work as a coach if I ended up not being able to speak after all. And I just got up there and I, I did some rituals and some things to help prepare me. I prepared well for the speech and I, I got up there and I just had a great time. I just had a great time and everybody looked so nice. This <laughs> was okay. So if you're just tuning in, we're going to talk about some deep stuff today. We're going to talk about what's going on in society. We're going to talk about leadership. We're going to talk about, you know, business owners. Um, we're going to talk about your interior world. We'll probably even lean in a little bit into spirituality, but I just wanted to start the podcast with a little bit of your thing of overcoming your own fear because of all the work you've done and because of what you know. So yeah, your background, you're a psychotherapist. You've got all these degrees. You've got all these pedigrees. You know, you are a professional. I mean, you work with professionals at a very high level that are high functioning. And a lot of times it looks like from some of your work and you can certainly correct me. It looks a lot of times you're working with entrepreneurs that are going pretty fast. They're driving pretty hard and they're building companies that are technology-based companies that are growing super fast. And so those are younger, younger and older people, and they're having to adjust to a new reality almost daily. Yeah. And so you're helping them navigate that. Is that accurate or is that a part yeah, of Yeah, I, I think you, you did your homework really well. Thank you for that. Most of my clients are entrepreneurs. Most of them are male and most of them are young. Mm -hmm. And by young, I mean between 30 and 45. I do see some women. I do see some older people, but most of my clients are young and most of them are in these industries that just, they find their niche. And I mean, they just grow so fast and it actually becomes incredibly overwhelming to them. And that's where I come in. I'm not just, I, I don't know if you said this or if I just heard it wrong. Um, I'm no longer a psychotherapist. I'm no oh, longer okay. licensed. Um, when I started moving all around up and down the East coast into different States, I just, I was like, I just can't keep up with the licensure. And <laughs> plus I was kind of, I wanted something new, which is why I became a coach. But yeah, so those are the people and they have a lot of anxiety, a lot of stress. Mm -hmm. They thought that the success was going to mean everything to them. And then they find that they actually have more problems than they did before they started. 
And that's when they come to my door. That's basically who I help. Yeah. And I've been an entrepreneur for a long, long time and ridden the success train up and back down and yeah. back up again. So I've done the entrepreneurial path and will it's continue. It's not for the faint of heart. It is not for the faint of heart. It's like, well, you mentioned in our pre-show something about spirituality. I was like, if you want to grow spiritually, open a business, start a business, run a yes. business, because that's will take you to your knees <laughs> and you will beg God for, for lots of things right. during that process. It is, yeah, being an entrepreneur is a different track for sure. It's not for everybody. I wouldn't recommend no. it for everybody. No. But if you want to grow personally and spiritually, it is like the fast track to encountering all those types of things. So let's just, I guess, let's just start there if that works. So, because I, I did hear this group of young men that you coach, and when I say young in their 30s, they had talked about their own journey of kind of being successful fairly, I mean, kind of struggling, 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 sometimes for years, sometimes for a decade or more. And then all of a sudden, some, you know, their technology business hits or their education business hits. And then they're, you know, they're making more money than they ever have before. And then there's almost this, well, not almost, there's like this pullback or there's like, from going through, a, mine were longer cycles. Mm -hmm. So I did. So it was more of a gradual thing for me. So it wasn't so shocking to my system, I guess, to say, you know, it was built over decades versus over months. <laughs> but it, it sure seemed that there was this sense of identity crisis, almost like when I failed at business here during, you know, COVID and post COVID, I had my own identity crisis because yeah. I was always considered myself successful. And then all of a sudden I wasn't successful in business. And so it was super, super hardest time of my life, by far the hardest time of my life in every, in every area of my life. So how are you coaching them or what are you seeing in these people, I guess, in that space where they are? Because yes, you would think, gosh, if you're financially successful, that should fix everything, <laughs> right? I can pay all my bills. I can do this. I can travel. But there's a process of transforming or transcending something. What, what's going yeah. on there with them? Well, you, you just said something really important that I don't even know if you're aware you said that shows that you, your maturity, because you said when I failed during COVID, I mean, when I failed in business, you made that distinction that a failure in business was not a failure of life. You were able to see that nuance. And I think that one of the things I see repeatedly in my profession is that the people I work with often are so overly identified with their business that that they think their business is them. Mm -hmm. And that causes a tremendous amount of suffering. And so one of the things I do when I work with these clients is help them see that nuance and take a different perspective. Because a lot of these guys, they don't even know who they are. Mm. I mean, and that's not... It's not like a problem they have. It's like a problem that we have as a culture, right. I think, that we don't really know who we are anymore. There's some deep work that has to be done to help them recognize that who they are and that who they are, regardless of what's happening out there, that their business is a game. It's mm -hmm. nothing more than a game. And it's it's a tough game. I mean, it's mm -hmm. a Olympic level game. And, and as we said, it's not for the faint of heart and it's not for everybody. I think it takes a particular type of person, personality to enjoy this incredible, incredibly crazy ride of entrepreneurship. But it's helping them recognize they are not their business, their business is a game they play. And when they get that, and I mean, it's hard to get. 
hard to get when you spend so many hours and so much time and mm-hmm. so much of your blood, sweat, tears, energy, money, and everything to build this. It's like your baby. Mm-hmm. So I get it that it's really, really hard. And it's not to say that these people, these my clients, that once they get this, that they don't fall into that from time to time. It's just that they can find their way back more quickly and more easily and it not be quite as devastating as it was once. Right. Yeah, totally. And yes, that was my experience as well. Like I said, mine wasn't rapid success. Mine was a slow burn on success, but rapid failure, which, you know, a healthcare company and also a a brand new state-of-the-art gym I just built prior to COVID. And so those two things just tanked, right? And I'm still dealing with some of the financial aftermath of that, but I have had enough time to, I've basically had a little over a year kind of to kind of um, recover to some degree from I am not my business. I'll, I'll be honest. I have a lot more fun when I'm winning. <laughs> I have a oh, lot more fun course. when I'm making much. Me mean, too. It, it didn't get to the point of like, but I am super thankful that I was literally brought to the brink of existence myself so that I could, for me, it was so ingrained because it'd been in there so long success in myself. Yeah. And I would, I could pretend like that this thing over here is my business and this is me, but that would have been a complete lie because really I'd integrated it so much into my DNA that it, like I had to have almost like a professional death, spiritual death, yeah, yeah. right? Um, of, to some degree, relationship types death to actually experience, okay, maybe that isn't you know, all of me. Maybe there's more to me to, to discover and I'm evolving versus Right. Yeah, and I failed. And Matt, it's not your fault, you know, that you believed that because this is what the culture tells us is the most important thing. The culture that we live in now talks about uh, money and and success and possessions as being the thing that defines you. So you came by that innocently, you know, the fact that it was very difficult and it hurt and all of those things, and it would have hurt anyway, no matter what. But it's hard to unravel it all when you pretty much from the time we're born, we start getting messages about what success looks like. Yeah, actually I was watching, you know, so I grew up in the seventies and the eighties and I graduated from high school right at 89. And so I grew up with all these messages and literally I was watching a documentary of Hugh Hefner about uh, last week or the week before, you know, the founder of Playboy and Hugh Hefner. And that was when I was growing up, if you were a man, that was a role model, right? To be this guy who makes lots of money and has all these ladies and smokes cigars and, or pipe, I guess, whatever. But that was kind of a model. And it was like, man, what a super shallow existence. What a super shallow existence. But I, I had to live a lot of that existence in my brain of linking all those things up to say, oh, this is what a man is until I realized that, wow, that's not really anything to do with what a man is. That's like a very superficial mask of what mask a, a part of masculinity, but it's certainly not what a man is. That's not it at all. And you know, for me, I got to a point where I was I started to super isolate, right? So COVID helped that because I could post COVID, I could kind of still pretend like that that was what was going on. But in reality, what was happening was because I was failing. I knew people knew I was failing at business. I didn't want to talk about it. I didn't want them yeah. to see me. So I just started spending more and more and more time at home working from home. And I got super isolated in and of myself. And that was real dangerous um, when I started to isolate. And I think you've got a term that you've used, which is hyper individualism. Yeah. Is that what you said? Yeah. And so let's talk a little bit about that, because I think I've certainly experienced that in my own life of kind of secluding 
when I felt down, it was like, I didn't want, because yeah. I was so tied to success, I didn't want anybody to see me. Right. Yes. And again, that's a product of the culture you've grown up in. And, you know, one of my dreams, maybe it's magical thinking, I don't know, is to normalize failure because mm. failure is the path to mastery. And you start reading the research about social media and how it's literally killing people because mm. people are posting their successes and they're quaffing before they get on and they're quaffing. Is that an old word? Yeah, but I'll roll with it. I'll roll with it. I still, I, I still say icebox and my, my wife makes fun of me for that. We've never actually had an icebox, <laughs> right? But that's why I grew up kind of around country folk and that's the way we spoke. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, I mean, but people, you know, these magazine smiles, the, mm -hmm. the always have to look good. And it's a rare thing to see people struggle on social media. You do see it, but it's rare. Right. It's not, especially in the field I work in with entrepreneurs, they're constantly sort of competing with one another and they're terrified to, to show their vulnerabilities and their failures, their mistakes, their messiness. Mm -hmm. And, you know, one of the reasons my clients like me is because I'm not afraid of the mess. I'm very, very comfortable <laughs> with the mess and the darkness. I'm, I can swim right. there really, really well. Mm -hmm. And they appreciate that about me. So it makes sense to me, again, that you would hole up. I mean, number one, mm -hmm. there wasn't much else you could do. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you might have chosen something different if there had been an opportunity. To, I don't know. My tendency is like that, though. I tend to kind of hole up within myself when I'm struggling. But I would love to see people normalize, you know, when people say this is the way to success, one, two, three, success is not linear. There's no. nothing linear about success, but people don't talk about that. We don't get to see that. And I think that if more people were brave and it's hard, I mean, it's, I say that like, I don't mean that that's simple or, right, or that right. I'm just saying, I mean, I struggle with it, to be honest, but to say, man, life is hard and it's a struggle and it's a roller coaster. And there is no success without failure. There is no success without failure. Failure is the path to success. Mm -hmm. And so it makes sense. But it's a product of our culture. I am an individualist. I like to do things on my own. I like to take care of myself. I'm independent, you know, and but I think we live in a culture that has become hyper individualist. And I think that's a problem. And I know if you read, I mean, the suicide rate for men, you know, is outrageous right now. And the disconnect in our culture is horrible. And people are lonely. People are struggling. They're scared to talk to anybody about it. They're scared of being judged. They're scared of being looked down on. And there are there is some judgment out there because of the way our culture is the mm -hmm. the beliefs that we've been given that we are a failure. If you're number two, you're a failure, mm -hmm. which is ridiculous. <laughs> right. You know, I mean, you you watch the games. You know, they're these elite athletes. But if you don't actually win, then you know you're trash or whatever. Right. So we come by it innocently, and some of us personality wise are more prone to it than others. Uh, individualism. But I think it's literally killing us, I think. And, and I agree with you. And I'm grateful for your own inner wisdom that you said you could recognize that this could be dangerous for me. And so you didn't stay there. And I will say in all fairness, it wasn't that I recognized it. It was it was that people close to me recognized that I was in danger and they reached out 
and kind of pulled me out of the darkness. I didn't have perspective. I knew I was dark. Yeah. When I say dark, I knew I was at a period of time I was suicidal. I will say that on the show. I don't know that I've said that on the show before, but I was definitely for weeks and months. It was as dark as I could have gone without not leaving the earth, leaving the planet. And for me, it was a few, my wife reached out to somebody, a friend of mine, and he reached out to me and I had another close friend that just kind of reached out and it was those little, and so I guess I'm glad I'm even remembering that because I've got to remember to do the same for my friends that are in that space. But it was enough little touch points, people that would call and leave something nice on my voicemail instead of not leaving a voicemail, even though I didn't return their call sometimes because I couldn't still, (laughs) but it was enough of those that finally it it was kind of like, there's hope. Right. Yeah. For a while, I didn't want hope. So I would have loved to have said, yes, I was present enough and well, sane enough. But I w- but I you w- were connected enough. You did have the wisdom to be connected enough. Right. That those people could see it. So you right. still had that wisdom that connected you, that knew you couldn't do it all alone. And then not only did you have those people, but you then let them in. Because a lot of people, when they get to that point, they won't let them in. And the third thing I want to say about that is, you know, thank you, Matt, for being so brave to say it because you are not the only one. In fact, I guarantee that your listeners, there are many, 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 many people who have been suicidal. I have been suicidal. I mean, severely suicidal. Mm -hmm. We are not the only two who have struggled in this way. No, and I've talked to several of my friends post um, that period of time uh, that shared with me their own stories of contemplating since I had a good friend of mine tell me he had planned it all out, was ready to go, and then knew how, knew where. He was going through a business failure and that and he tied everything to that and and his son committed suicide the week before. Oh my gosh. And that stopped him because he saw how it affected his family and it stopped him in his tracks. And he never had shared that we had been business partners. We've been friends for a long, long time, probably, well, close to a decade. And he had never shared that until I went through what I went through. He went to breakfast and he shared that story with me. He said, we should really write a book because there's so many people out there that have, especially entrepreneurs, especially business leaders that have gone through business failures and contemplated this and nobody really talked about it. Or or I shouldn't say nobody. There's not enough people probably no. is the right word talking about it. There's not. And I would say business failures uh, it probably impacts men more than women because mm. the culture has tied um, your identity to your work. Right. And, 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 and that exterior world work is what I mean, you know, that mm-hmm. going out of the home and working. And I think that there's a tremendous amount of pressure on you guys unfairly. I mean, it's terrible. So that when a business failing happens, it does. It just feels like that's the end. Uh-huh. There, there's nothing more. So the fact that you two could pull yourself out of that is a testimony to your spirit and your grit and your willingness to do the work that it takes to live in a very difficult time in our history. I mean, it's a very, it's kind of crazy. Collect, the collective stress is kind of, it's not kind of crazy. It's really crazy right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I would say, I think he would, at least he would agree and I would agree. I don't, I think it was more of the letting go of, I think asking for help is really super hard and it still is challenging for me. I'm getting better at it, but asking for help, especially in those situations, because we are supposed to be the leader. We are supposed, we've never really leaned on others for 
leadership, we've led ourselves. And so when we fail to just say, I need help, it's yeah. like the large, for me became the largest hurdle and the largest obstacle to my own mental health was just me reaching out and saying, okay, I don't have this. I don't know what's going on. I don't know that I'm going to navigate it. And so for me, it became a very spiritual thing of, you know, let go and let God. A friend of mine reached out and started meeting once a week and studying scripture. And so I, that was something I'd never done before. I hadn't really read scripture, didn't know much, I mean, a, a little bit, but for me, that scriptural practice became so very important that literally I would memorize scripture and I would use that when the stress and the worry would come in, I would just start reciting that scripture over and over and over and over again. It became like a meditation or working out, or it became therapeutic for me to mm -hmm. kind of say, okay, this is what I need to focus on right now in this moment. And it helped me have a focal point versus all of the mm -hmm. stressors. I think everybody in general, their own worst critic, right? Their own hardest critic. Mm -hmm. And so how to, that's how I quieted down my critic was yeah. just to, to focus on, you call them mantras, but it was scripture for me. Right, right. It's very brave of you to reach out for help because I think it is very difficult to reach out for help. And it, I think especially for men. I don't know why the men come to me. I didn't plan on having men clients. I, I planned on having women clients, but they come to me. I, and maybe it's because I am a woman. Maybe they don't right. have to perform in front of a man. I don't yep. know why it is, but they feel mm -hmm. comfortable. So it's very, very brave of you to mm -hmm. reach out. And I hope your listeners will will all know that that it's super cool and brave to reach out for help. <laughs> super, you're doing super. a good job. You're doing a good job. Well, I know why they, because you're good at visiting, but I visited with a, another friend of mine and about this whole thing with men and that stressor. And it was interesting conversation, which we got to that men really don't have a safe harbor to lay their head down. There's very few places for men to actually feel safe enough to let the armor down yeah. to actually express their own fears, like do the inner child work or do yeah. the shadow work or do it. It has not been very popular in our culture for men to actually not have to be the, you know, the leader or the role model. And we've watched when men do let down their guard and do make mistakes. And they just, to your point in social media and in the media, just get slaughtered. They yeah, just get killed. Right. Like when Tiger Woods did all the stuff he did, obviously there was stuff going on behind the scenes that was causing him to do all those things. And the media, obviously, you know, here's this star up on the stage and they just butchered him, right? That's right. <laughs> and tore him down. And yeah. good for him. He, he's got a lot of therapy and got a lot of help and come through a lot of that. But yeah, we see it time and time again. The media loves to tear down leaders who fail. Yeah. And that's why I think it's so important to find the safe harbors. May not be the safest place to put it on, on social media, um, right. you know, small groups or finding a therapist or a mentor or a coach or a good friend or things like that. And the, the landscape for men is, has changed profoundly and is changing very, very rapidly now. And men are feeling in general um, a sense of loss because they did have very, very particular roles that all of a sudden aren't really the same anymore. And so there's a feeling many men experience of, I mean, we all to some degree, who am I? But I mean, men, their whole worlds have kind of been turned up upside down in the last recent decades. And there's kind of some floundering out there and they need support more than ever. Really, they do. To your point, Matt, you know, what you did, one of the things you did to pull yourself out was you got help and then you created some rituals or I call them rituals or practices. Mm -hmm. Some people yeah, call them right. practices. Mm -hmm. I kind of like the sacred sound uh -huh. of ritual. 
Mm-hmm. And I have my rituals. Um, they don't in, involve scripture at this point mm-hmm. in my life. They did at mm-hmm. one time. Mm-hmm. Um, but meditation and breath work and various things like that can be such great anchors for us. I think in many cases, they're not enough if we don't do the connecting with other people and getting help in that way. But I think they can create like these pillars beneath us that kind of hold us up. Um, I think our practices and rituals are very, very important. No, I totally agree with you. Yeah. So I've even started doing cold plunges because I did that was part of a retreat I did. And, you know, the first day of the the retreat, I was like, okay, this is super cold. (laughs) And it still is cold, but yes. I, I miss it when I don't do it for a couple of days now because yeah. it's kind of that reset, especially, you know, first thing in the morning, a reset, even if it's not freezing cold, even if it's just colder than my body temperature, it helps a lot. So I agree that rituals, you know, I, I have my morning rituals now and, and those help ground and kind of set the day. It's like, okay, I get enough of resiliency or I guess for me, it's even having that space in the morning of taking time to not have to rush or not have to hurry into life, but kind of come into life on your own terms to some degree. Yeah, I think that sense of urgency that so many people feel is dangerous because Mm -hmm. I don't think there's a whole lot that's actually that urgent. And in fact, I've learned for myself that when I feel super urgent about something, that is my alarm clock to wake me up to myself to the, to say, whoa, wait a minute. If I'm feeling this urgent, something's off. Unless right. I'm running for my life or something like that. <laughs> right. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're not. Yeah. It's not happening. Right. But generally speaking for me, when, when I feel like a stressed out sense of urgency, I need to slow down. I need to, to take a big step back and wait and feel into what's going on with me and what out there and seeing if it's really true. If this story of urgency is really, really true. And morning practices for me help me with that. They help me take that time to settle down within myself so that I can approach my day with more more clarity and more peace and mm-hmm. that kind of thing. And that's good. More clarity and more peace. What on earth? I'll backtrack a little bit. What on earth made you want to get into this work, right? Because you're working with a mess of clients, right? I mean, they're, they're, they're entrepreneurs or <laughs> they're probably very entertaining. But, but, but why did you ever want to help? people, I guess, in this space. I didn't. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's not that I didn't. It's literally, it never occurred to me. Right. It never occurred to me to work with male entrepreneurs. And again, Uh I do have some female clients clients whom I love, but um, the majority are male. I didn't plan it. (laughs) What happened was a young entrepreneur came to me who was in trouble and he was having a very bad time and we worked together. He got some very fast relief. He stayed with me for a couple of years. Um, He went deep. He just transformative, transformative work. Mm -hmm. And he just started sending all his, you know, all these entrepreneurs are connected out there. (laughs) And so anybody, anytime a friend was struggling, an entrepreneurial friend was struggling, he sent them to me. Right. And and all of a sudden, just my practice became these guys. <laughs> and and I love them. I mean, mm-hmm. there's a way in which I'm so much older than m- most of them are. There's a way I have a little bit of motherly instinct, mm-hmm. I think, that comes on board, which is nice. And, mm-hmm. and I just love them. I just want them to succeed and be fulfilled, you know, mm-hmm. and the two don't always go hand in hand. Right. Uh, and I want them to understand the difference and that success is far, far, far more than money. I want them to have the money they want and what they want, but I want them to have something 
much deeper and richer than that also, because the money without that is just empty and superficial and, and unfulfilling and you just start to feel like a ghost. So I want to help them, you know, learn how to manage the stress and ease some of the stress. Some stress is good. You know, mm -hmm. research shows that we need some stress. Right. So it's not like we're going to eliminate all stress, but we do want to eliminate that suffering kind of stress and help them understand who they really are and that they are not their business and that there's this life force coursing through them, just like all of nature, and that there's more to life than the money. You know, I saw a quote, and I won't get it 100% right, from Jim Carrey that said he wished everybody could be rich and famous so they could figure out that that's not the answer to happiness. Yeah. Right? He said it's not the answer to <laughs> happiness because I think there is that. And, of course, I, that's been in me, and I am that, growing up in the culture, growing up in the environment that we're in right now where, yeah, so much of it was I, can, I will be happy when... I get yes. rich. I will That's be happy when I get married. I will be happy when I have, you know, whatever the thing is, but meaning I'm never going to be happy today, fully happy because it's always predicated on some future event. And even in the last day or two, I've really been looking at, you know, we human beings are creatures of emotion. We're always chasing this, um, this thing of emotion, everything that we do. And this is my, my uh, this is my opinion. You can, you can tell me I'm wrong. Everything I do and everything I notice others doing is to get a feeling. Mm. There's mm -hmm. some emotion or some feeling that we're trying to get to, right? Even with my move, you know, and our family's moved to Asheville, North Carolina, I'm pursuing something that I want to feel in the future, right? Something I want to feel more grounded. I want to feel more peaceful. I want to feel more connected. Whatever that is, I'm chasing feelings. And I had to find, I'm coming to the point where I'm stopping enough and saying, so what am I running from? What's the escape? If I have to go feel something else, what's the feeling that I'm trying to avoid, right? Yeah. Where, where am I? Because if I'm running to some other feeling, it means I don't like the feelings I'm having currently. But am I dealing with those feelings? Right. Yeah. I mean, I think many, many people are running from, I think you're absolutely right, from something, even more so than to something. Right. They want to get away from something and they're looking in the wrong place. You know, we're looking outside of ourselves to find that feeling of happiness or contentment or peace or whatever, when when the truth is that's within ourselves. And we don't look there. You know, most many, many people don't look there. They look everywhere but there. They look to success or money or religion or, I mean, you name it, the right partner, the right spouse, the right friends, the right food, you know, whatever it is, um, the right car. And it's just not to be found outside of us. And the problem is we've just got so much stuff piled on us, so many beliefs and stories and cultural demands and expectations and all kinds of things. And really the work, I feel like the work I do is more like an excavation, more like an archaeological dig. Like who you are at your essence is always there. It's never not there. Your resilience is always there. Your wisdom is always there. Your peace is always there. It's just that there's so much stuff attached on top of you that you can't access it. You can't feel it. You can't. And so the work really is about not adding more, but taking off things. It's sort of like the, uh, I love this story of, have you heard the story of the golden Buddha? I have, but I'll let you go. I'll let you tell because yeah, so I'd only heard it once. So I it's will, a true story, I, which is I, what makes it best of all. 
and don't quote me on the on the details because I'm not a detail person. <laughs> That's okay. I, it's been a long time since I heard it. You could so. go, y'all can go Google it and read yes, it. But the Golden right. Buddha, there was a village, we're talking centuries ago, but they had a Golden Buddha in their village. And I'm going to give you a version. War broke out and the soldiers were coming in and pillaging all of the villages. So they decided they were going to cover the Buddha in like all kinds of mud and straw and all kinds of things and hope that they didn't take the Buddha. And sure enough, the soldiers came through. They destroyed the village and all the people in it, but they didn't touch the Buddha. It just looked like a big mud statue. And literally, like centuries later, this Buddha was found. Somebody saw this Buddha, this muddy thing, and they saw the light, the sunlight just hit it in a certain way. And they saw a crack and they saw something sparkle. And they were like, oh, my gosh, there's something here. And then, of course, they excavated it and discovered that it was a solid gold. I think it was solid gold Buddha, like worth countless, you know, just unimaginable. And that's how I think of my work. It's like you have a golden Buddha in you. You don't know it. You don't recognize it. In fact, you may even not you, you particularly, Matt, but generally speaking, maybe to your audience or generally speaking to, to whomever. Uh, you have a golden Buddha inside of you, and it may be that you feel broken. It may be that you feel damaged. It may be that you have no felt sense of your own golden Buddha nature. I feel like underneath it all, I mean, I say all the right marketing things on my website, right? You know, because you got to get people in the door. But ultimately, I want people to take off all of this mud and all of this straw and all of these beliefs and stories and and demands and expectations that this culture puts on them to find their true essence, which is brilliant and creative and kind and compassionate and um, mobilized energy and um, um, wise and intuitive and all of these things. And those are the things that then help you go out and live a fulfilling life. And, and maybe if you want to, the game of building a business. Love it. Love it. That's a nice, nice bow on our conversation for the day. But I'm going to ask you one more question. Yeah. When I have guests on the show, I love to ask this question because I find it's interesting, the clarity that comes through. I always take away, this is my nugget, I guess, from the podcast. But if you only had one message to give to all 8 billion other oh, uh, gosh. human beings. Yes, here it comes. <laughs> this is like, like a Miss America question. The, um, <laughs> if you only had... One message to give to all 8 billion other people, one kind of crystallized, singleized message that, that you would think this would have the greatest impact if people would just get this or people would understand this or people would hear this. What message would that be? Well, I'm torn between two. You can I'm give me them both. I'm trying them. to figure out how, how to combine them. I believe that humans are, well, pack animals like dogs. You know, we're social creatures. And I think the first thing I would say is we can't go it alone. We just oh. can't. We're going to die going it alone. And our brain knows this, actually. You know, neuroscience will tell you, you know, the brain, we are not meant to go it alone. That's one right. thing I would say. And, and, and the other thing I would say, so find ways to connect. And I don't even mean just to other people. I mean, here's how I can connect it into one. Oh, there you go. It. See, it, there it is. Yes. Is that connection. Connection is about yeah. connecting to other people. It's about connecting to the world around you, including nature. And it's about connecting to yourself. And what I would say is we're so disconnected from ourselves that if you want to grow a, a big business, let's say, 
you know, I used in my talk, Matt, you may remember the oak tree. Um, mm -hmm. If that oak tree does not have deep, 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 deep roots, it will topple in the next storm. And so I see that happening with entrepreneurs as they build a big, big business and they haven't done the interior work. There's a quote by Hal Elrod. Uh, I think he wrote something about the morning or some book, Hal Elrod. He says, our levels of success will rarely exceed our levels of personal development because success is something we attract by who we become. And so if you're not doing your personal interior work, then, you know, your life is not going to be nearly as fulfilling as it can be or successful as it can be in whatever way you define success, because success is not always about making money. It can mean a lot of things. But what is success for you? And if you don't do your interior work, it's going to impact the kind of success and the kind of um, the kind of fulfillment that you can experience in life. I think it's beautiful and very uh, apropos for the world we live in right now, right? Absolutely. It's tough out us, there. We've been taught to be independent and do everything on our own so that we're tough and nobody can hurt us and all this other yep. stuff, but that also blocks life, right? Yeah. I mean, we're not letting life in and life will cease to be. That's so right. Let the life in and out, right? It's a yes. two-way road. We don't just let light in, we let it out too. Yes, yes, yes. Perfect. Well, Carla... Thank you so much for coming on the show today. I look forward to meet, connecting with you when I get there into Asheville. I look um, forward to it too. Thank you for the work you're doing. It's And your website's carlaroyal.com, right? Yes. Very easy with the C, C-A-R-L-A, royal.com. And so, yeah, if any of this has spoke to you, uh, you actually book appointments with people just to come on and visit for an hour to see if you can help them, see if it's yeah. the right fit. So there's no yeah. obligation. I really appreciate you. Yeah, free uh, call free call and doing that. So yeah, if this has resonated with you at all, I'm sure Carla would love to visit with you. I would. I would. I appreciate you, Matt, and the work that you're doing out there in this podcast. I've listened to several of the episodes you do and a great job. Thank you. Well, thank you. I really appreciate that. Thank you for being a part of the Bright Vibe podcast. For more information, go to brightvibe.com. That's B-R-I-T-E, vibe, B-I-B-E.com. Thank you for listening. <laughs>